We have the joy this morning of witnessing the baptism of a covenant child, that we may witness this sacrament with an understanding faith. We first give our attention to an explanation of the meaning of baptism. Form for its administration, page 86, the back of the Psalter. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, the principal parts of the doctrine of holy baptism are these three. First, that we with our children are conceived and born in sin, and therefore are children of wrath insomuch that we cannot enter into the kingdom of God except we are born again. This, the dipping in or sprinkling with water, teaches us, whereby the impurity of our souls is signified, and we admonished to loathe and humble ourselves before God, and seek our purification and salvation without ourselves. Secondly, holy baptism witnesseth and sealeth unto us the washing away of our sins through Jesus Christ. Therefore we are baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. For when we are baptized in the name of the Father, God the Father witnesseth and sealeth unto us that he doth make an eternal covenant of grace with us, and adopts us for his children and heirs, and therefore will provide us with every good thing and avert all evil or turn it to our profit. And when we are baptized in the name of the Son, the Son sealeth unto us that he doth wash us in his blood from all our sins, incorporating us into the fellowship of his death and resurrection, so that we are freed from all our sins and accounted righteous before God. In like manner, when we are baptized in the name of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit assures us by this holy sacrament, that he will dwell in us and sanctify us to be members of Christ, applying unto us that which we have in Christ, namely, the washing away of our sins and the daily renewing of our lives, till we shall finally be presented without spot or wrinkle among the assembly of the elect in life eternal. Thirdly, whereas in all covenants there are contained two parts, therefore are we by God through baptism admonished of and obliged unto new obedience, Namely, that we cleave to this one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that we trust in him and love him with all our hearts, with all our souls, and with all our mind, and with all our strength, that we forsake the world, crucify our old nature, and walk in a new and holy life. And if we sometimes through weakness fall into sin, we must not therefore despair of God's mercy, nor continue in sin, since baptism is a seal and undoubted testimony that we have an eternal covenant of grace with God. And although our young children do not understand these things, we may not, therefore, exclude them from baptism. For as they are without their knowledge partakers of the condemnation in Adam, so are they again received unto grace in Christ. As God speaketh unto Abraham, the father of all the faithful, and therefore unto us and our children, in Genesis 17, verse 7, saying, I will establish my covenant between me and thee, and thy seed after thee in their generations, for an everlasting covenant, to be a God unto thee and to thy seed after thee. This also the apostle Peter testifieth with these words in Acts 2, verse 39. For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Therefore God formerly commanded them to be circumcised, which was a seal of the covenant and of the righteousness of faith, And therefore Christ also embraced them, laid his hands upon them, and blessed them in Mark 10. Since then baptism has come in the place of circumcision, therefore infants are to be baptized as heirs of the kingdom of God and of his covenant. 
And parents are in duty bound further to instruct their children herein when they shall arrive to years of discretion. That therefore this holy ordinance of God may be administered to his glory, to our comfort, and to the edification of his church, let us call upon his holy name in prayer. Almighty and eternal God, thou who hast according to thy severe judgment punished the unbelieving and unrepentant world with the flood, and asked according to thy great mercy, saved and protected believing Noah and his family. Thou who hast drowned the obstinate Pharaoh and his host in the Red Sea, and hast led thy people Israel through the midst of the sea upon dry land, by which baptism was signified. We beseech thee that thou wilt be pleased of thine infinite mercy graciously to look upon this child, and incorporate her by thy Holy Spirit into thy Son, Jesus Christ, that she may be buried with him into his death, and be raised with him in newness of life, that she may daily follow him, joyfully bearing her cross, and cleave unto him in true faith, firm hope, and ardent love, that she may, with a comfortable sense of thy favor, leave this life, which is nothing but a continual death, and at the last day may appear without terror before the judgment seat of Christ thy Son. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, who with thee and the Holy Spirit, one only God, lives and reigns forever. Amen. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, you have heard that baptism is an ordinance of God to seal unto us and to our seed his covenant. Therefore, it must be used for that end, and not out of custom or superstition. That it may be then manifest that you are thus minded, you are to answer sincerely to the following questions. Jordan and Kara, you may arise. First, whether you acknowledge that although our children are conceived and born in sin, and therefore are subject to all miseries, yea, to condemnation itself, yet that they are sanctified in Christ and therefore, as members of his church, ought to be baptized. Secondly, whether you acknowledge the doctrine which is contained in the Old and New Testament and in the articles of the Christian faith, and which is taught here in this Christian church to be the true and perfect doctrine of salvation. Thirdly, whether you promise and intend to see this child when come to years of discretion, instructed and brought up in the aforesaid doctrine, or help or cause her to be instructed therein to the utmost of your power. Jordan Kara, what is your answer? Natalie Joe. I baptize thee in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. In thankfulness to God for his covenant faithfulness in the line of generations. We sing from Psalter 425. We open the Holy Scriptures to Proverbs chapter 31. 
Continuing again our loose baptism series drawn from the book of Proverbs, God's wisdom for covenant parents. So we're going to read the chapter together and then we're going to focus on verses 10 through 31. Let us hear the word of God in Proverbs chapter 31. The words of King Lemuel, the prophecy that his mother taught him. What, my son, and what, the son of my womb, and what, the son of my vows? Give not thy strength unto women, nor thy ways to that which destroyeth kings. It is not for kings, O Lemuel, it is not for kings to drink wine, nor for princes strong drink, lest they drink and forget the law, and pervert the judgment of any of the afflicted. Give strong drink unto him that is ready to perish, and wine unto those that be of heavy hearts. Let him drink and forget his poverty, and remember his misery no more. Open thy mouth for the dumb, in the cause of all such as are appointed to destruction. Open thy mouth, judge righteously, and plead the cause of the poor and needy. Who can find a virtuous woman? For her price is far above rubies. The heart of her husband doth safely trust in her, so that he shall have no need of spoil. She will do him good and not evil all the days of her life. She seeketh wool and flax and worketh willingly with her hands. She is like the merchant's ships. She bringeth her food from afar. She riseth also while it is yet night and giveth meat to her household and a portion to her maidens. She considereth a field and buyeth it. With the fruit of her hands she planteth a vineyard. She girdeth her loins with strength and strengtheneth her arms. She perceiveth that her merchandise is good. Her candle goeth not out by night. She layeth her hands to the spindle and her hands hold the distaff. She stretcheth out her hand to the poor. Yea, she reacheth forth her hands to the needy. She is not afraid of the snow for her household. For all her household are clothed with scarlet. She maketh herself coverings of tapestry. Her clothing is silk and purple. Her husband is known in the gates when he sitteth among the elders of the land. She maketh fine linen and selleth it and delivereth girdles unto the merchant. Strength and honor are her clothing and she shall rejoice in time to come. She openeth her mouth with wisdom and in her tongue is the law of kindness. She looketh well to the ways of her household and eateth not the bread of idleness. Her children arise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praiseth her. Many daughters have done virtuously, but thou excellest them all. Favor is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman that feareth the Lord, she shall be praised. Give her of the works of her hands and let her own works praise her in the gates. Thus far we read the inspired scriptures. Beloved in the Lord, the last chapter of the book of Proverbs, Proverbs 31, is perhaps one of the book's most well-known chapters. It sets before us the multifaceted picture of the virtuous woman. What is perhaps not so well-known about these words 
is that Proverbs 31 is actually the words of a mother. We find that in verse 1. The words of King Lemuel. King Lemuel is the one who was led by the Spirit to write down these words. But where did King Lemuel get these words? The prophecy that his mother taught him. Proverbs 31 is a mother's lesson to her son. We don't know exactly who this Lemuel is. Though the likeliest possibility is that it is Solomon. We know for a fact that Solomon was given a different name that was used at times by his father. For example, for example, in 2 Samuel 12 verse 24, Solomon is called by David Jedidiah, beloved of the Lord. The name Lemuel means of God or devoted to God. A very sensible name that Solomon's parents could have used for them, for him. And so it is possible that the original person that the Spirit inspired to give these words was Bathsheba, Solomon's mother. In these words, we find an important lesson. This mother teaches her son, who will be king over Israel. She teaches him and instructs him in avoiding sinful pleasures, particularly wine and other things which would corrupt his judgment. He sets, she sets before her son the king's great calling to be a righteous judge who cares for the poor and the needy in the land. And then we come to the lengthiest part of Proverbs 31, verses 10 through 31, in which this mother sets before her son the kind of woman he is to seek. To be his spouse, the virtuous, godly woman. And while this proverb is often looked at as an important passage for instruction in motherhood, which it is, and while it is also an important passage in the instruction of the life of every woman in the church, it is, there is particular relevance this morning for the occasion of baptism. We have a mother's lesson. To her child. And for you Jordan and Kara. The Lord has been pleased to give you two daughters. And thus. These proverbs are appropriate. We have here what the Bible says. About the virtuous woman. The kind of woman you are to teach. Your daughters to be. Both of you as a father and a mother. Have an important place. God will use you. In the raising of your two daughters. And so this word of God will be of instruction as well as comfort to you as you go forward in that work as covenant parents depending upon God and teaching your daughters to be virtuous women of God. We're going to look at a large section of scripture, verses 10 through 31, and our purpose this morning is not to go through every verse in detail. We can't possibly do that, but rather we're going to draw out of this passage a few of its main ideas and apply it to the parents' calling to raise, bring up, virtuous, God-fearing daughters. And so that's our theme, bringing up virtuous daughters. We're going to look first at what 
that virtue is. The, the virtue that is spoken of in these Proverbs, and that's godly character. Secondly, we will notice that this godly character of the virtuous woman, of the virtuous daughter, is God's workmanship in her. <clears throat> and then finally, we will look at the reality of this godly character. Virtuous, God-fearing daughters are of great worth in the eyes of God to his people. Proverbs 31, 10-31 describes for us the virtuous woman. And while this text sets before us all sorts of things that this virtuous woman does, we are going to focus on what stands behind them all and what binds them all together, namely, her godly character. And that's the idea of the word virtue that we find in verse 10. Who can find a virtuous woman? That word virtue in the Hebrew text has the literal idea of strength. That's the basic idea of the word. Who can find a virtuous woman, a strong woman? And that points out that the virtue of the virtuous woman is a strength of character, a godly character. And now, in the first point, we're going to unpack some of the main elements of that strength of character, that godly character that this passage of the scripture portrays for us. So much could be said here, but we're going to focus on especially three things. We're going to look at how this proverb teaches that the virtuous woman is one who exercises her strength with a servant's heart. Secondly, that she is a woman of moral integrity and fitness in the ways of God. <clears throat> and then thirdly, that she is a woman who fears the Lord. First, <clears throat> the picture of the virtuous woman in Proverbs 31 sets before us a woman whose strength of character shows itself in a servant's heart. You read through much of Proverbs 31 and perhaps what strikes you is the busyness of this virtuous woman. She is engaged in all sorts of activities that require an impressive amount of strength, stamina, energy, gifts, resourcefulness indeed. She is energetic and industrious. Verse 27 says, She looketh well to the ways of her household. She is diligent and hardworking in her vocation, employing the diversity of God-given gifts that she has. Verse 13 says, She worketh willingly with her hands. She is cheerful and diligent in that labor. Verse 24, She maketh fine linen and selleth it and delivereth girdles to the merchants. Verse 18 says, she is the producer of quality merchandise. She's a loving nurturer and provider for her household. Verse 14, she is like the merchant's ships. She bringeth her food from afar. She makes sure that her family is well provided for and well fed and well taken care of. That's important to her. She is a prudent and resourceful steward of all that God has placed in her hands. 
She doesn't squander her time or her resources. As verse 27 says, she eateth not the bread of idleness. She considers a field before she buys it. And when she has bought it, she doesn't neglect it. But with the fruit of her hands, she plants a vineyard, the text says. She is diligent, resourceful, a prudent steward, and thus she is not afraid of the snow for her household. Verse 21 says, for her prudent forethought has provided for them in advance the coming winter months. We could go on and on. What, What a picture of strength, industriousness, energetic labor. Now, what's the point? Of all of these things that the proverb sets before us as it paints this picture of the virtuous woman engaged in the many labors of her hands. It's here sometimes I think this proverb can be misunderstood when we don't get beneath the surface. Yes, it is certainly true that this proverb gives good instruction to resort for resourcefulness, diligence in the work of a, of a homemaker, in the work of a mother. That is very true. But but there's more here than that. And sometimes Christian women can read this proverb and go away from it a little bit deflated. You read of all these things that the virtuous woman is doing and it seems like the scripture is drawing this picture of someone with superhuman stamina. The point of the proverb is not to give you, sisters, a checklist of a whole bunch of things you must be doing if you are to be a virtuous woman. So that if you can't check off every single one of these at every point in your life, you're somehow deficient. That's not what this proverb is getting at. Rather, all of these things that we see the virtuous woman engaged in, all of these things are different manifestations of her heart. And that's what we really want to see in the proverb this morning. The the proverb is showing us the heart of the virtuous woman. And the heart of the virtuous woman is a servant's heart. She labors in her vocation, in the place that God has given her. She labors cheerfully. She labors diligently. Not merely out of a sense of obligation. But she labors, motivated by love for her family, for her neighbors, for those that God has put in her life. What animates her, what gets her up, what keeps her going, is that love for God and love for his people. There is a servant's heart that this proverb sets forth. And the proverb is saying, that is one of the fundamental components of the virtue Of the virtuous woman. She is one who has a servant's heart. That beats with love for others. That's why she works hard. Because she loves much. And she delights to use her gifts. To serve those that God has put in her life. She delights to employ the strength. That God has given her. And use it to build up others. Whether it be her family. Whether it be her children. If she has children. Whether it be the church community in which she lives. Whether it be a close friend that she walks side by side with on life's pathway. She has a servant's 
heart. And that servant's heart belongs to her strength of character. She is one who in her own God-given way is a blessing to those around her such that that blessing often bounces back to her. As the proverb says at the end that her children, her husband, indeed implied the church around her rises up to praise her and to call her blessed. And so that's the first component of this picture of the virtuous woman that we want to see. She has a servant's heart. And that's a manifestation of godly character, true strength. Secondly, the proverb sets before us the picture of the virtuous woman and highlights that her strength of character is also found in her moral integrity and spiritual fitness. And there are several verses throughout Proverbs 31 that bring this idea before us. Start with verse 25. Strength and honor are her clothing, and she shall rejoice in a time, in time to come. The focus here is not, first of all, upon physical strength and stamina, but upon one's inner strength. Strength that is honorable and praiseworthy, a moral integrity, a devotion to what is good and right and true, a devotion that shows itself in her walk of life, whether she is married or single, whether she is a mother or not, whether she is young or old, she is a woman marked by sound moral judgment and upright behavior, studied spiritual fitness in the ways of God. Notice how that corresponds with the idea of virtue here. Virtue is strength. She is strong. She is a woman of strong conviction, rooted in biblical principle, who intentionally lives out her life in conformity to the word of God, the God that she loves. And that makes her firm, that makes her steady, that makes her principled in all of the work that she does from her servant's heart. She is a woman of moral integrity. Strength is her clothing, virtue, and thus honor. Her moral integrity gives her a dignity as a daughter of the king. Go up to verse 20. She stretcheth out her hand to the poor, yea, she reacheth forth her hands to the needy. Though the proverb sets before us the virtuous woman in the context of marriage and family. By the way, that's not the only context where this proverb is applicable. The proverb does not mean to teach that the only sphere in which a woman exercises this virtue is if she's married or has children. No. Whether God calls you to marriage, whether God gives you children or not, this virtue, this strength of character, it's a gift of God to all of his daughters to be exercised in whatever, whatever sphere of life in which we live. But here in the proverb, we have the virtuous woman in the context of marriage and family. But here we see that she's not only focused on her family, those closest to her, but she is active in a ministry of mercy to the needy in the covenant community around her. She stretches out her hand to the poor. She ministers to the needy. Not only financially through the giving of alms, but through the employment of her gifts. She has a servant's 
heart. She loves much. And that love reaches out to her family, to her children, but the walls of her house aren't sufficient to contain that love. It must go out to the walls of the church and fill the church and even go farther. As the Word of God calls us, we are to do good to all men. Especially, but not only, to the household of faith. She's a woman of pure and undefiled religion. Verse 26. Moral integrity that governs her speech. She openeth her mouth with wisdom, and in her tongue is the law of kindness. What a beautiful verse. Wisdom. When she opens her mouth, that's what comes out. Wisdom. Does it mean that she's always grave? Always overly serious? That's not the idea. The godly man, the godly woman can can laugh. Can have a good time. Can let their hair down appropriately according to God's word. But the focus here is that her conduct and especially her speech are at all times governed and directed by that spiritual wisdom that is found in the Word of God, so that she uses her words the way God uses His words. God is the speaking God, and He uses His words for good. So does she. So does she. She's a woman of the Word. She's a woman of the word because she loves the word made flesh, her Savior who is found in the gospel of Christ. Christ who is the one in whom all treasures of wisdom and knowledge are found. And so as a woman of the word, she searches the scriptures. She's in the scriptures. And from that word, by the work of the Spirit, she gains wisdom. Wisdom is the knowledge of God's word that is digested, taken in, and applied to everyday life. Wisdom is taking the knowledge of the truth and bringing it to bear on the everyday realities of your earthly life so that it guides your feet, it guides your hands, it guides your whole life toward the best God-glorifying end. She's wise in speech, sound in judgment, not a talebearer, but instead assistant to her family and to her church family with good advice, counsel, encouragement, a kind word. Because in her tongue is the law of kindness. And what that means is her speech is governed by this rule, kindness. As we've seen in our series on 1 Corinthians 13, that's a fundamental component of true Christian love. Love suffers long, is kind. The law of grace rules her tongue. Going up to verses 11 and 12, we see that the virtuous woman's moral integrity is displayed in her faithfulness and loyalty in her relationships. Verses twelve or verses 11 and 12. The heart of her husband doth safely trust in her, so that he shall have no need of spoil. She shall do him good and not evil all the days of her life. She is trustworthy, reliable, loyal, devoted, and faithful. That's strength of character. 
Though the proverb puts this in the context of marriage, it doesn't only apply there. It applies to all of the relationships that God gives her in this life. Whether it's with a friend, a fellow believer, trustworthy, reliable. Third and finally, main idea that we pick from Proverbs 31 is that the virtuous woman shows her strength of character, exhibits godly character, ultimately in this, she fears God. And that's really the rock-solid foundation of everything that we've spoken about before. There cannot be a servant's heart. There cannot be this moral integrity and spiritual fitness in the ways of God apart from this rock-solid foundation, the fear of the Lord. And that's, that's verse 30. Favor is deceitful and beauty is vain, but the woman that feareth the Lord, she shall be praised. The crown of the virtuous woman is this. She fears the Lord. Meaning she lives day by day consciously before His face. Holds Him as her God and as the Lord of her life so that all of her life is governed and guided by regard for Him and His Word. In her heart, there is harbored a reverential awe and a devoted love for this God, which means the vanities of life are not the first thing for her, but rather pleasing and glorifying God in all things. That's the driving force, the foremost desire that moves her in all that she does. That's the virtuous woman in brief. That's the picture, beautiful picture, painted here in Proverbs 31. A servant's heart, steadfast moral integrity and spiritual fitness, rooted in the fear of the Lord, godly character, strength of character. Now what we want to see, is that this godly character is God's workmanship. And that's going to lead us now into the applications that come to parents and the raising of children. The virtuous woman, as pictured here in Proverbs 31, that's what we want our daughters to be. That's what we pray our daughters will be. That's what we as father and mother Seek to teach our daughters to be. But we must acknowledge. A godly son. A virtuous daughter. Has only one maker. God. They are his workmanship. The qualities of the virtuous woman we read about here in the proverb, her godly character, these are not natural qualities that can be cultivated by sheer willpower or self-discipline. Virtue is never man-made. Virtue, biblical virtue, genuine true virtue, is the product of God's grace. At work in the heart and life of one of his elect children. 
Godly character is the workmanship of God who fashions his people in his likeness. And thus, virtue is simply a good, God-glorifying quality wrought in you by the operation of the Holy Spirit. Virtue is Christ-likeness. That's what the Spirit of Christ is doing in His people. He is working Christ-likeness in us. The Spirit of Christ forms Christ in you and conforms you to the image of Jesus Christ. That's where the godly man comes from. That's where the virtuous woman comes from. Workmanship of God. So we read in those well-known verses in Ephesians 2, many of us probably know them by heart, for by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, Created in Christ Jesus unto good works which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. That's the virtuous woman. A daughter of God created and recreated in Christ Jesus unto a virtuous life which God hath ordained she should walk in. So now we apply this to parenthood. This should shape our view of parenthood. In the first place, it requires us to acknowledge the humbling truth that we confessed right at the beginning of the baptism form. We can't give our children spiritual life. We can't. As fallen sons and daughters of Adam and Eve, father and mother simply pass on to their children that hereditary disease called original sin, spiritual death, totally depraved human nature. We can only bring forth children who are by nature spiritually dead. We cannot give them spiritual life. We depend upon God. The God who worked that miracle of conception in the birth of our child is the God who must work the even greater miracle of the spiritual rebirth of our child by the Spirit. And so we depend upon him for that. We trust him for that. We pray that the Lord works his grace in the hearts of our children from their earliest days, giving them that new life of Christ and cultivating it so that it manifests itself in ever-growing and maturing faith. We pray for that. We depend upon God for that. And we acknowledge humbly our insufficiency and God's all-sufficiency in the salvation of our children. But now, that doesn't mean that we as parents just sit back and do nothing. Even as we trust God fully to do what only God can do, at the same time we take heed to his command to train up the child in the way that he should go, to give our children a pious and religious education, to bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. Because as God gets to work, in his workmanship of grace, he uses tools. Parents, you're the chosen instruments that God is pleased to use in the workshop of his grace 
to form, to shape godly sons, virtuous daughters. And that comes out very beautifully right at the beginning of Proverbs 31. We go back to that interesting fact. Proverbs 31 is the lesson a mother taught her son. Yes, the words of King Lemuel. But these words of King Lemuel are the prophecy his mother taught him. And that itself shows us the powerful way in which God uses the instruction of father and mother to shape the life and even the spiritual life of their children. Lemuel, Solomon, if that's who he was, remembered that lesson of his mother. It was so impressed upon him that he called it to mind in his adult years. It was a lesson that he took with him. It left an unerasable impression upon his heart and upon his mind. And though we know that Solomon was a man of many faults and many sins, indeed, he often failed to follow this godly counsel and instruction of his mother. Yet nonetheless, God used it. Used it for Solomon's good. And now God caused these little details to be recorded in Proverbs 31 verse 1 to give us a glimpse of how he is pleased to work, how he is pleased to use parental instruction to shape his sons and daughters. And that should be an encouragement to all covenant parents here. God uses you as he pleases in his way, in his timing, and he is all wise. You are the tools in his hands as he performs his workmanship, crafting a godly son, shaping a virtuous daughter. So now at the last part of the second point, I want to make some specific applications for the occasion of baptism for parents, but now specifically for the raising of covenant daughters. First, Proverbs 31, and the beautiful portrait of the virtuous woman that it contains, is to be a lesson that we take and use. As the mother of Lemuel did, she taught this lesson to her son, to teach him the sort of spouse he ought to seek. Covenant parents, we ought to do the same. What a wonderful, instructive passage we have been given here to teach our sons what to look for in a godly wife. But that's not the only use for this passage. It is a mother's lesson, a father's lesson to a daughter how she is to live. This is the kind of woman you are to teach your daughter to be for the glory of of God. And so bringing up virtuous daughters means setting before them and teaching them what is pleasing to God. The kind of daughter of the king they are to be for his glory. 
spiritual strength of character. Virtuous woman is a strong woman. She possesses inner strength, which guided by love, she presses into the service of others. Strength. Teach that to your daughters. Strength. Feminism didn't come up with that. Feminism didn't come up with the idea of a woman who is clothed with strength. The Bible said that long before the first modern feminist came onto the scene. The problem with feminism is that it misunderstands how strength is to be used. Strength is not for the promotion of self and the advancement of self, but strength, as the Bible teaches, is to be used to love, to serve. And that's the lesson of Proverbs 31, which we want to teach our daughters in the church. Your true strength is exercised in loving service, because service is the purpose of life. Yes, that's the distinctively Christian view of life that sets the Christian view apart from the world's view. The world says, live for self. Everything you have is yours to use to make your life better, to do what you want, to succeed, to advance, to promote yourself. The Christian view of life is, no, I have been redeemed by a God who gave everything for me. And now the purpose of life is for me to take everything he has given to me and use it to serve others. A servant's heart. A servant's heart. Serve God by devoting ourselves to Him, His worship, seeking His glory above all. We serve God also by serving those that God puts in our life. So as our children grow up, whether a son or a daughter, parents, we are to be teaching them, this is why you have gifts. This is why you're going to school. This is why you're cultivating these gifts. Yes, you need to make a living eventually. You have to be able to survive in this world. That's important. But the chief goal of all of this is finding your place of service in the covenant and kingdom of God so that you may give what God has given to you. Use it for the blessing of others. Point our daughters and our sons to that reality. We point them to Christ, who is the servant of all. You want to see a servant's heart, look at Jesus Christ. He is the servant of Jehovah, who though he had all, laid it all aside. To suffer and to die, to pay for the sins of us fallen children of Adam and Eve, that we might be adopted into the covenant family of God and be called his sons and his daughters and inherit life everlasting with him. Jesus is the servant who served us and now life is all about serving him. By serving those he puts in our life. So as we teach the gospel to our children, we teach them that key application of the gospel. Believing in Jesus. Knowing him as your savior. Resting in him. Means you live for him. And this is how you live for him. Serve. 
when you know the grace of God to you, that grace gives you a servant's heart. Parents, we teach that with our words and we teach that with our example and with our conduct. It takes a servant's heart to teach our children to be servants. We're to model that to our children. Indeed, that's what parenthood is really all about. Parenthood is service. And as as parents, we have to see ourselves that way. Yes, God has given us an authority over our children, which we must exercise rightly. They need that authority. They need the rules of the house. That's part of what helps them grow and mature. Parents are called to honor father and mother. But as parental authorities, we are authorities like Jesus was. He was the master, and yet he gave himself in the service of his disciples. So too, Parenthood is a ministry of service. And when we model that for our children as fathers and mothers, they learn to have a servant's heart. Our life is the book out of which they learn how to live as a Christian. Now another application is that in bringing up virtuous daughters, as we set before them the portrait of the virtuous woman in Proverbs 31, We're to teach them the true nature of beauty. That true beauty is an inner beauty of the heart. And that the most beautiful thing a daughter of God can ever possess is this godly character, this strength of character, this servant's heart, this moral integrity rooted in the fear of the Lord, that that above all things is beautiful. Favor is deceitful and beauty is vain, but the woman that feareth the Lord, she shall be praised. The fear of the Lord reigning in the heart is the true beauty of the soul that shines forth in everything that the virtuous woman does. As we raise our sons, teach them, that's what's above all most important. That's what you look for, future spouse. As we raise our daughters, teach them, that's what it is to be a woman of the Lord. It's truly beautiful in the eyes of the holy God who fears the Lord. Loves him with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength. And exhibits this strength, character. Of course, that doesn't mean there's no place for attention to appearance. That's a good gift of God, a good creation of God, and we may pay proper regard to it. The virtuous woman in Proverbs 31 does so. She clothes her family with scarlet. She herself is clothed in silk and in purple. But godly character, that is the virtuous woman's true and abiding beauty. For ultimately, it is the beauty of Christ-likeness. And that's the most beautiful thing there is. So in raising our children, teaching our sons, and bringing up virtuous daughters, it all goes back to Christ. Point our children continually to Christ, to who he is, what he has 
done, what that means for who I am and the life I am to live. And that leads us to the great worth. And that's where the proverb ends. Stating the great worth of the virtuous woman, the great worth of the virtuous daughter of God. Proverbs 31 verse 10 says, Who can find a virtuous woman for her price is far above rubies? Far above rubies. And on account of that great worth, the proverb ends by speaking about the praise that she rightly receives. Parents, you raise your daughters, teach them this. The great worth of the virtuous woman. Her price is far above rubies. The idea of that is priceless. So precious, so valuable, so useful in the covenant and kingdom of God, so beautiful that the most precious gemstones that man's heart covets after cannot compare. She has this matchless worth that is far above rubies. You can't put a price on it. And this great worth is worth that is rooted in and bestowed through God's workmanship of grace. That's her identity. That's who she is as a daughter of the king. She's been bought with a price. The price of the ruby red blood of Jesus Christ. She's his. One of the most important lessons we can teach our children, one of the most important lessons we teach our daughters That your true value, your true worth is found in Christ. Who you are in Christ. A daughter of the King. Your worth is not defined by what the world prizes. All of the glittering external things that quickly pass away. That are a vapor. That are vanity. Who you are in Christ. Precious in the eyes of God. Fashioned, shaped by his gracious hands. Endowed with gifts for his glory and the service of his people. That is great, great worth. Just praiseworthy. Verse 29 says, Many daughters have done virtuously, but thou excellest them all. Favor is deceitful, and beauty is vain, but a woman that feareth the Lord, she shall be praised. That praise is rightful. Not to make proud, but to encourage. That leads to this important application. Parents, as you raise your children, you raise your daughters. Encourage them. Praise them. As you see this godly character being formed in them by the hand of God. Children need that. They need the structure, yes, of a well-ordered home. They need discipline. They need the rules that are put in place. But they also need love that is expressed in the way of approval and encouragement and praise. That shows them what we value. What we esteem as most important. 
in them. Praise. Just as a husband is to praise his wife. Encourage her. As a godly woman, so parents are to encourage and praise their children. This too, God uses to form and to shape that godly character in our sons and our daughters. So let this wisdom, this wisdom of the proverb, instruct us as parents that we may set it before our children, bring up godly sons, virtuous daughters, in the fear of the Lord, to the glory of his name. Amen. Our faithful God and Father, we thank thee that for a little while we could walk through some of the wonderful teachings of Proverbs 31. We pray that this word may encourage covenant parents in the raising of their children and in particular in the bringing up of virtuous daughters. Work in the heart of the daughters of the congregation that this godly character may be formed in them. May they know That they are precious in the eyes of their God and Father. Indeed with a price far above even the most precious of rubies. This all we ask in Jesus name. Amen.